0: Welcome to the Gaily Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Dorner.
1: And I'm your producer, Alex Myers.
0: This is your weekly podcast series, giving you insight into some of the best and brightest Oklahomans. From LGBTQ activists and politicians to business owners and community organizers, there are so many stories to tell. So for our first episode, we had the chance to sit down with Connie Johnson. She has been a force in Oklahoma politics for decades, most notably serving as an Oklahoma state senator and running for governor in 2018. Now she has her own company, Advocacy Works, which focuses on getting more people to vote. So get ready because we're about to learn the ABCs of Oklahoma politics with Connie Johnson. How
1: have you been holding up during quarantine I mean, tell us how you've been keeping yourself occupied during all this time.
2: Interestingly, that's a long story because prior to quarantine, I had been quarantined on my own in memory of my mother who passed um, right in November of 2018. And uh, a lot of you know that after the, the governor's race, I literally dropped out of sight to take care of her Those last six months, my advocacy really played a role in her transition because she used cannabis oil instead of opioids, right? But after her death, I committed to take a year off, 35 years of service. And Lord knows the only reason I stopped was my mother, the one who made me possible. So I'm like, I'll honor her for a year. And I was tired. I was emotionally yeah, probably still am. You know, gosh, my mother. Um, yeah. I was born on Mother's Day, you know, and and literally, I find pictures of us now where I would not be doing this if it had not been for her. My mom is a yellow dog Democrat, born, bred, that right. Christine Bird spoke at her funeral. Oh, um, okay. so so. So yeah, for that year, I took off. I, I decided to come back and I did. I I, I entered re-entered in the cannabis world because that's where I was still engaged and still believe in the policies that need to happen. And I was just amazed at the progress that had happened in the span of that year and a half in that industry. It, To me today is the one industry in Oklahoma that is doing well in this pandemic moment, right? So, and I and I and I made that happen. I was responsible for that. <laughs> Just yep. a, that's it aside. But but it's amazing the the brilliance, the intelligence, the industrialness, the entrepreneurial stuff that's going on in this in this field now, and the medicinal stuff that's going on, but the criminal justice reform stuff is not going on. So so I entered back in that scene, you know, kind of assessing what's going on. We did the Oklahoma Mardi Gras 2020 at the Capitol, which was an advocacy piece to, to sign people up. We got, we, we, got, we did almost 200 free medical recommendations that day. Oh, but wow. at the same time, acquaint them with the legislative process and let them know if your vote is important, guarantee your vote by signing up to vote by mail Go find out who your legislator is. You know, the whole nine yards for governmental advocacy. That was a, it was a success. It was a, it was an interesting thing um, in so many ways. And I won't go into those, but that was Mardi Gras Tuesday. Mm -hmm. After that, everything closed down. So I went back in. And so you asked me how I'm faring. I'm doing just fine because that's what I had been doing for the last two years
1: anyway. <laughs> so you were you were ready. You know, You're so already.
2: it didn't strike me as emotionally um, impactful as maybe it has some people because I was already comfortable with my solitude, my being alone, my time to retool, and so everybody else got forced into that moment. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think a lot of good things have come out of it. Advocacy works came during this moment you know uh, actually operationalizing it right i'm i'm still in that process because government wonk i don't know the first thing about business i just know that there is a need for a service for the people that informs them that guides, that advises that uh, helps them navigate this process be it governmental Uh, be it um, environmental, be it business, be it um, just any, be it cannabis, right? Um, to, To help people advocate, to elect the right people first and foremost, right? And then to hold those people accountable for making the changes that really affect their lives. So that's what advocacy is all about. Advocacy works. Yes, works at gmail is my uh, my email address, and and that name was waiting on me. I mean, I got the name December thirty first, twenty nineteen, oh. and it was there. It was. I was amazed. Like really. So that's that's my name, and I'm sticking with it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that to me is just amazing, and I just I cannot imagine the stress that you went through going through you know running for governor, and on top of that, dealing with your mother, do you you consider Advocacy Works kind of like a tribute to your mother in a way?
2: Yes, I think this is all. And that's what inspired me, because I was thinking about dropping out, giving up, not wanting to be bothered anymore completely. And it occurred to me that my mother was not a quitter. And, Boy, she, she she was in the game right until, up until the end, right? Um, and so I don't get to quit. And then just like we talked about, Alex, we all have a purpose on this land, in this space. God put us here for a purpose. And we'll either realize it or we'll die not realizing it.
1: Yeah.
2: Or we'll realize it and we'll live because we know we can't die until we achieve it. <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: Um Yeah. I can't been, imagine you quitting advocacy, Connie.
2: I know. I know. Yeah. I was tripping. I was It's tripping. in your it's in your blood. Yeah, it is. It's in my heart. I get I get upset at the thought that people can't get treated fairly or because of a lack of education they don't behave differently. When
0: I can help them, when I can do something to help them, yeah. Make a difference, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. And I want to speak about some of your recent work. Um, you want to use Juneteenth as another opportunity to increase voter registration. Tell us a little more about that.
2: Sure. And we want to continue that uh, spirit. So Juneteenth was made great recently. <laughs> he was famous or something, right? And he did Bless his heart. He did, because I think we know about Juneteenth, but in Oklahoma, we didn't really know that he moved his visit to Oklahoma's Juneteenth holiday. It's celebrated the third Saturday in June. So June the 19th is what Juneteenth stands for. When in 1865, General Granger issued the order letting the slaves know that they were free the masters already knew that they were free but they chose to disregard I the know. emancipation proclamation because of their profits right so granger came through at the urging of the black cavalry that had helped defeat uh, uh, general lee at uh, don't get me started naming these historical places but they it, it it marked the end of the Civil War, whatever the great battle was. So they took, they went with General Granger to Texas, headed to Mexico to fight the French, and a storm caused them to uh, run ashore in Galveston, where the soldiers had convinced him to make the announcement so that the people would know. So slaves in uh, Texas found out they were free. June nineteenth, Juneteenth. 1865. Slaves in Oklahoma, which was an Indian ter- territory at the time, and therefore not subject to the Emancipation Proclamation degree, weren't freed until the Indians entered into a treaty with the United States because the Confederacy, they sided with the Confederacy, the Confederacy laws, you know, as a condition they entered into the 1866 treaty. Well, there were several treaties, five tribes, five Slaveholding holding tribes that were called civilized. And they signed them at different times in 1866, I believe. The latest one in the month of June was on June 14th, 1866. So that's June 14th is what's relevant in Oklahoma territory, now a state. But the last tribe signed July 19th, 1866. And there's going to be a Juneteenth celebration on 23rd Street on July 19th in Oklahoma City. Yes, yes, that just occurred to me. So that's the celebration. And, but in 1994, when I was on staff, Senator Maxine Horner and Representative Don Ross introduced legislation making a holiday, an official holiday in the state of Oklahoma, the third Saturday of the month of June. So, uh, so yeah, so a lot of education happened in that moment. And in that moment, I also felt that it was important that people understand their power in voting. Like we were free as slaves ultimately to be able to vote, ultimately to exercise that right of freedom. And so many in, in, in my community don't vote. There's a Facebook meme going around showing how Trump won by so many in these various states and how many black people didn't vote, right? So it's a voting block. That is a powerful voting block. It's a powerful voting block in Oklahoma, even with low voting, right? But imagine if more of us voted. So my whole advocacy works push has been, and I've been doing this since 2015 when I was vice chair of the Democratic Party and proposed this program to... um, to the party and, and it was kind of ignored. Um, and that was a, a program where we register everybody to vote by mail um, as a way of guaranteeing their vote. When you sign up to vote by mail, you get the ballot 30 days ahead of time. Um, you can make sure that your your voter registration records are in order, right? Sometimes you get to the poll and find out, oh, something's wrong, you've been expunged or something. Um, you, can also, you don't have to worry about, you know, encountering drama when you go vote. Uh, it's COVID safe, right, during mm-hmm. this moment. Um, so all of these benefits, in addition to guaranteeing your vote, when you get the ballot, you don't have to use it. You can still go vote in person. But having it early lets you know what's on it, what state questions are on it. Like State Question 802, at the same time we were promoting that, the Medicaid expansion proposal, was one that really directly impacted this community in terms of poor health outcomes. And COVID-19 demonstrated that more than ever. In your face, all of this around June 19th. So that they should get their uh, absentee ballots, vote early, vote yes on 802, and be able to demonstrate demonstrate through the increased number of absentee ballots in this area that this community voted had a had a major part in making sure that that question passed i was i'm grateful but it shows that in the hinterlands in the rural areas um there's such a great need for education Mm -hmm. and especially around the issues that most impact them. Um, Their hospitals are closed. Yeah. Um, They don't have medical providers in a reasonable uh, proximity to them. And all the things about health care. But, and literally, they also didn't really vote to support State Question 788, Medical Cannabis. Uh, again, because of lack of education and awareness, but we know in some rural areas in Oklahoma, opioid addiction is off the charts, mm-hmm. and oh, yes. um, a lot of other politics going on. the The environmental pieces that infect affect them, you know, just regardless of the issue. This happened to be healthcare and coverage for people who could not afford healthcare, but if it was environmental down in southeast Oklahoma if it was opioid addiction in, enroll in Roland, Oklahoma and, uh, Salisaw, um, it's a lack of education that, that has them voting. And then, you know, I saw where the misleading advertising, boy, those guys are really, really yeah. brilliant. You know, making people think that if they, if they vote no on 802, they would be getting riddy, rid of Nancy Pelosi and AOC, right? Mm -hmm. And people believe that.
1: Why do you think uh, the Oklahoma GOP specifically is so adamantly against, was so adamantly against State Question 802?
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) So, um, what is it? The Oklahoma Public Affairs Council, whatever that.
0: Oklahoma Council on Public Affairs.
2: Council of Public Affairs is the driver for the Republican Party. And I'm sure Jonathan Small has probably written a white paper on it somewhere that justifies their feelings, right? And I've known Jonathan since he was a kid. He and my son are the same age.
0: Yeah. And
2: and so it's hard for me to think, why? But let's think. Let's put on our Republican hats for a minute. And is there an economic benefit to it for people to be sick uh, disproportionately? um so maybe they they don't even have doctors to go to out there but maybe the doctors benefit and you know is there um an, an economic benefit in people dying so the funeral companies you know where is the business aspect of this policy where's the business benefit which is generally what they're looking to ensure in my opinion yeah um i don't know None of those work for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I want to go back to your, your main issue, which is medical cannabis. For our viewers who don't know, Connie proposed legislation to legalize medical cannabis decades before it even got passed in Oklahoma. Why specifically did you choose medical cannabis for you personally to be at the forefront of it?
2: So there's another long story. Anyway, so, you know, I was elected in 2005 after 24 years on Senate staff writing about the issues that most affect people. And so, in my area where I live, um, those, those issues were really front and center a lot of times in, in major ways. And one of the biggest ones that I studied was this um, phenomenon of grandparents raising grandchildren. Sixty percent right. of the kids in Millwood back in the year two thousand were being raised by their grandparents. They had grandparents' day, not parents' day. Because of the incarceration, a lot of women, with on average, two point three kids of their parents for simple possession of marijuana. So, you know, I'm I'm an analyst. I went to to the school. I kind of could think about it critically. And I said, well, what can we do about that? Well, let's decriminalize marijuana. I knew that the state wouldn't go for uh, full blown legalization of adult use, also known as recreational. I knew that was out of the question. So I settled on medical, uh, really as a way to decriminalize marijuana. And, um, I had no idea they wouldn't go for that either, or I subsequently found out because I introduced it four times during my tenure in the legislature, but during the process, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a student, I'm a scholar of the legislative process. You know, I learned under folks like Ben Brown and Bernice Kane and
0: uh, uh, yeah,
2: uh, Cal Hobson. You know, yeah. you know all of good names. Yeah, guys. yeah, they were Democrats. I was there when it started to be to trending conservative. The Democrats were just as conservative as the other guys. And so when I introduced the bill in 2007, the Senate was still majority Democrat. Now, what I did get done that year, and it was, also, it was a part of my um, Master's of Rehabilitation Counseling program at Langston University, and that was to introduce legislation relating to over-incarceration of women. And I called for creating a task force to study issues of women and incarceration and reentry and all of that and fought like heck to get the bill passed. Gosh, that's a long story. Uh, Senator Mike Schultz has a role in that. He was former pro tem recently. But got the bill passed, this was in 2008. There was a tied Senate at that point, 24, 24 Republicans, 24 Democrats. My Senator neglected to appoint me chair of task force, and Republicans leader appointed senator jonathan nichols chair
0: Uh
2: and the committee proceeded to never meet
0: oh wow
2: so the next year chris Steele became speaker of the house mind you for two years i had been beating the bush house side senate side republican educating people about the plight of women returning from prison. And you know during that time I ultimately hired a lady who had been in prison, Gwen Fields, and she's now in law school. But she was a, a, a poster child for what happens with these women as they try to re-enter society, as they try to regain a relationship with their children, as they are particular they are potentially traumatized by a memory of while they were incarcerated of what happened to their child in foster care, in state custody. So much going on for these women. So I posited that they needed supported employment. They needed supported housing, uh, counseling, uh, supported transportation. And and that's what I advocated. Um, Chris Steele heard me. When he was speaker, he got approved the legislation that created the reentry and diversion program for women. We went on to introduce several criminal justice reform proposals and and mind you, I'm introducing cannabis the whole time
1: mm-hmm.
2: but so many of these proposals have either become law or they're under discussion right now, right. Yeah. Because it was unsustainable. What we were doing in incarceration was unsustainable. But a yeah. lot of the proposals, like getting the governor out of the parole process, decriminalizing simple possession of any drug from a felony to a misdemeanor, medical cannabis, legalizing almost all those things got done via the initiative petition process.
1: My next question would be, we've talked about a lot of issues today and your work in the Oklahoma legislature. Would you ever consider giving another shot in
2: 2022? Well, that's a loaded question. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. You just want to leave it oh, at like yes? Like I just
2: said, I'm not, I have more, there is more to be done and I can help. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I have a pretty unique experience, background, knowledge base. Yeah. Certainly about cannabis. Certainly yeah. about where we were trying to go, and to the extent that that hasn't happened yet, my work is not done. Yeah. You know, till Oklahoma starts to to deal like Illinois and California with the inequities. That this commodity has brought to various communities. Until we do that, then we have not done right by the people who've been hurt the most.
1: It's and, more than just, and that's legalizing. just not
2: that's not just. That's just not my community. That is every community in Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, to the extent that we lock up more people than any other place in the world. So, yeah, until the people are free and free indeed. Yeah. Until they are voting and recognizing their power, there's still work to be done. And the reason I did it in the first place is to be able to push the button. So I would like to be able to to sign the bill now.
1: Yes. I wanna just uh, learn more about you as a person because you got a full ride to UPAN to, to study French. And I also majored in French as well. And I wanted to ask you the question that Everyone asks me when I tell my major in French, why?
2: (laughs) I love that language. I loved it from the time I was in um, a sophomore in high school. My mother, you know, we come from Louisiana, our people. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a French influence down there. Um, But the real story is. I knew I could graduate with friends. (laughs) And it came time to get out of college. And I was like, okay. So then my plan was to teach. Um, So I I did pursue uh, education, a master's in education. I didn't finish it, but I I did um, my student teaching at uh, Inner City High School in Philadelphia. And it showed me that there was bigger issues that, uh, that I could perhaps weigh in at another level because we ran out of paper in like September. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, that's not going to work for me. So I came back to Oklahoma and started working in the community action agency. But, um, uh, Alex, a, a fun story is that when I was, uh, In my French class, sophomore year, I came up with my daughter's name um, and I wanted every vowel that I could in in Anastasia. So I created her name, it's got 14 letters. And when she was born in 1988, I just couldn't come up with another name. So her name is Anastasia, A-N-N-A-S-T-H-A-U-Y-C-S-I. It's got 14 letters. It fits the alphabet song. She's a very bright young lady. She's a graphic designer.
1: Oh. Um,
2: but uh, that's my story about French at Penn. But I loved it. I, I literally wish I had studied abroad. I wish I could have done that. But I was also a cheerleader at the time. So, you know, I had my priorities mixed up. But um, I loved Philadelphia. It was an opportunity to, to get a first-class education, kind of like, in, on the east side in Oklahoma City because uh, Penn sat in the heart of West Philadelphia. And, you know, I could go across the street and eat at Five Divine's Devines for like 25 cents as long as I put on a skirt and have my arms covered. So, you know, I worked in political campaigns there. I worked on the uh, 18-year-old uh, constitutional amendment for voting for 18-year-olds. So I really did, you know, cut my teeth in an environment that was, it was politically charged at the time. Rizzo was the mayor. You know, you had the stuff going on in the 70s and the Vietnam and the political unrest, the Kent States. And, you know, it was a it was a revolutionary time. Um, so, but that, you know, it formed my, my developmental, you know, that was my developmental period that informed my, my um, passion now. And mm-hmm. um, so I left Philly in 1975, came back to Oklahoma City, started working community action agency, ultimately worked as public information and training officer for them. And then with the uh, Cedar program, the Comprehensive Employment and Training Act, where mm-hmm. you know, we worked in pulling people through training programs and putting them to work. And, and I think it's going to be that kind of a proposal that's going to be essential coming out of COVID because a lot of the jobs are no longer there. Even the way jobs are done has changed. And, you know, how we train people for jobs. What are we going to do with the people who are um, unemployed now at, at a low level jobs that no longer exist, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm looking forward to, to weighing in on, on recovery from a matter of point of view of, of policies that are going to come in useful to help Oklahoma.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess, um, lastly, the, the last question that I'm leaving with all our guests on this podcast is Are you proud to be an Oklahoman? And if so, why?
2: I love Oklahoma. I was born in Holdenville while my parents lived in Dustin and Holdenville was the closest hospital. So I'm straight out of the Southeast from Dustin, which was an all white town. And we were part of an experiment to put a black family in an all white town. My dad was a teacher, but we moved to Idabel from there. So from the time I was three to six, I grew up in Idabel. And I loved it. They drugged me kicking and screaming from Idabelle. Idabelle has a black mayor today. Um, but you also don't wanna get off in the woods in McCurtain County because you might get killed because of how well cannabis grows there. But that's just another story. But we moved to Oklahoma City when I was six. And this is, you know, the story just really um, intertwines with the reality of the social era we were in because We moved on 22nd Street. The color line was 23rd Street. Mm -hmm. And my next door neighbor was an elderly white couple who were unable to take flight to Edmund and Moore and wherever those people went. Right. So I used to go next door and my mom kind of ended up being Mr. Ballou's caregiver. But he had these books and I got to read and read and read. I was a nerd. But I read about Darwin's theories, of natural selection, and uh, I read about uh, 1984, and, you know, all of the predictive stuff that we're in right now, uh, wow. which kind of inspired me to sponsor the Real ID Bill in Oklahoma, and regardless of how you feel about it, I didn't feel that our personal identifying information, our biological information, should be deposited in a data bank anywhere for mm-hmm. for the Chinese to corrupt. Right. And so, yeah, we're going to comply with that. But but no, for those who are watching and who agreed with that, your passport will serve as ID just like a driver license. So you do not have to get a real ID. You literally can just get a regular driver license and still use your passport to get on a plane or enter a federal building. But anyway, you know, that inspired my paranoia. Went to douglas high school um you know went to creston hills kennedy john f kennedy was murdered when i was in the sixth grade they wow. built uh kennedy junior high school to honor him the next year we were the first seventh graders to go there then i went to the almighty douglas high school frederick a douglas high school the yeah. oldest public high school in the state of oklahoma the oldest along with mount st mary's which is oldest private school, but there we were taught by people who had masters and PhDs because they couldn't get jobs because of the race issue teaching anywhere else. So I had a first-class high school education, did well academically, earned a full scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania, Um, came back home. Still, you know, I, I never felt I was leaving Oklahoma forever. Mm -hmm. He was like, "Well, you came. Well, yeah, I came back home, and I lived in Tulsa for a minute. Um, But I like Oklahoma. I as with the community action agency, I traveled the state, and so I've been to all four corners of this state. Um, It's a pioneering state. That's that's what I like about it. We're spunky. We are determined. We are. You know, if you you leave the Find a way or you'll make one in Oklahoma. And exactly. it's that spirit. It's that spirit that that speaks to my heart. You know, it's straight up, that's all I know. So yes, I love Oklahoma. I think we can be a shining star. I love red too. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be a, a negative red. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be a powerful, energetic, inspirational beacon of light. the world to see. Uh, Like I said, everybody is wanting to come to Oklahoma in the cannabis space. It's major. Again, it is the one industry that continues to thrive in this state right now when everything else is having problems. So yes, this is my state. I want to be here. I'd like it here. And I need to be here.
1: That's, that's beautiful. And honestly, as someone who just recently moved back, that gives me hope to see people like you, progressives like you, living in Oklahoma, saying, I am proud to be Oklahoman. And really just wear their heart out on their sleeves and say, I'm still going to advocate for what I believe in, despite people that might not agree with me. So all I can well, say is- Well,
2: and we needed you mm-hmm. to have gone away, experienced mm-hmm. something, and bring back the best to your yeah. home yeah, and that's what i think we have with with you with folks who had a career and came back here to come home with us who stayed here and and fought against regressive measures together we can change this state it's not like people think it's not like the media would have you believe so yeah I'm we're not so a fire state what what we can do with the um with the colleges and universities, the students to inspire them. You know, we shouldn't have a brain drain here. We ought to be able to entice our people to stay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's create let's create a space where it's welcoming, and it's inclusive, and it's appreciative and of everybody, and regardless of our differences. Um, that's the best way for us to all do well.
1: Exactly. Well, Connie, thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I cannot wait to see what you do in the future with Advocacy Works. I can't say how excited I am. Well,
2: let me say this, because you know I'm always working. Mm -hmm. We want to do that template on Indigenous Peoples Day. Remember that? Mm -hmm. We want to do the Guaranteed Voting Strategy Program, Vote Awareness Program for June 4th for Indigenous Peoples Day, which is October the something, Mm -hmm. and do the same energy around inspiring Indians and their tribes to engage because perhaps their turnout is even lower than ours. And even in their tribal elections, there's no participation. So um, again, I look forward to us continuing to work to ensure that all groups, it could be LGBTQ, it could be the cannabis community, the black community, that everybody is aware of and taking advantage of guaranteeing their vote.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So and, I look forward to working together on that.
1: And so, before, I, before I let you go, if people want to uh, get to learn more about you or follow you on social media, where can we reach you at?
2: Sure, I have a Facebook page for Advocacy Works. Mm-hmm. and it's got a, like a check in a red black and white check in the box and my g my um email address is yesadvocacyworks advocacy gmail at gmail.com
1: great oh. we'll put that in the video description so people can contact you
2: awesome thank you very much i appreciate you bye I appreciate robin
1: you. I bye. You. <laughs> bye thank you Bye. Take, take care Bye-bye.
0: I just love Connie Johnson she really is a rarity in Oklahoma if you want to learn more about her we'll be linking her socials in the description but now I want to ask you some questions do you think voting is enough to enact change in your community if not then what else can you do on top of that also what did you think about Connie's life's work in criminal justice reform and medical marijuana. If you're from Oklahoma, have the issues she talked about personally affected you? We'd be thrilled to hear your thoughts in the comment section below. And with that being said, we've reached the end of the episode. Wah-wah! If you liked it, give us a thumbs up on YouTube or share this podcast on social media and tag at The Gayly. Once again, I'm Robin.
1: And I'm Alex
0: and you just listen to the gaily podcast